Now, as a church, here we are, we're in January, and we're talking about uh, moving in a certain direction as a church. In 2016, we're going to be focused on the area of reaching out and bringing other people to faith in the Lord. Now, 2015, we focused on every member of the church being a part of a house church, feeling tied in, being vested in a part of a small group or house church ministry. We focused on that a lot in 2015. And, uh, and by and large, uh, just talking with the elders, everybody's very excited and, and, and pleased with the growth in that area. It's not perfect. Uh, in, in any church our size, it's never going to be perfect, right? But we do believe that the opportunity is certainly there for everybody. We've really tried to work with anybody who really wants to be tied into a group and wants to really work on that. That opportunity is there. And where we are January 10th, 2016, is a lot farther down the road in that direction than we were when we were January 10th, 2015. And so that's a very good thing. Well, what my goal is, is that in the area of reaching out and sharing our faith and bringing other people to faith in the Lord, we will be farther ahead January 10th, 2017 than we are today. Does that make sense? That's where we all we're trying to head and doing this as a church and bringing us together. We need to be united in this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul wrote the church in Corinth. And he told them, he says, guys, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, he said, I'm begging you in the name of Jesus that all of you agree with one another, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. It's important. It was important to the Apostle Paul that a church not just have a, a, a group of a bunch of people who are focused on different things and whatever for Jesus, but that they, as a group, together, focused, united, be focused in a certain direction. And a lot of times we don't think that way. Even Jesus said in Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew, right? No, it's in John 17. This is in his prayer, verses 20 and 21. I believe this is part of the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Part of when he prayed, you know, Father, is there any other way? You know, take this cup from me. But I think there was much more to that prayer than just that phrase. Once Jesus finally surrendered to the fact that, okay, there is no other way, then he goes, okay, God, if I'm going to go through and make this sacrifice, then I have some other things on my heart. And he accepted that, and he says, I've got some other things on my heart. So he begins to pray other things, and he says here in verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone, them meaning, you know, just the, the uh, apostles. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that gets down to you and I. We believe in the Lord through the message, basically, of the apostles, of what we call the New Testament. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will know that you sent me. See, Jesus and the Father were completely focused and united in the area of the mission of seeking and saving the lost. They had to be. And they were completely focused on that. And Jesus says, 
okay, God, you and I are focused so much so that I'm going to sacrifice my life. I'm going to lay down my life and give it as a sacrifice for the world so that we can literally, we can seek the lost. Yeah, we know where they are. We sought them. We found them. Now we want to save them. And I will lay down my life. But God, I'm praying now that all of these people, that they will be completely united with you and I on this mission as well. Matter of fact, he says, why? So the world will know that you sent me. The whole thing gets back to that mission. Gets back to that purpose. The core of bringing people to faith that Jesus is the one that God sent. So today what I'm going to talk about, and of course you can, you've already seen it up there, the plate there uh, with the purpose of fasting written on the plate. We're going to talk about something that's going to really help us to unite us in the goal. I had someone ask this morning, are you going to go into any more detail on the fasting? I said, yeah, I think the whole sermon's going to be on that. <laughs> so that's what we're going to talk about to help us really focus on that. Fasting is one of those things, I mean, everybody pretty much kind of sort of knows what it is. It's been around for millennia. Not just in the Christian or in the Jewish faith, but all in, in, in the human experience. Uh, even, as some of you may know, a part of things I do, kind of my hobby or whatever, I do a lot of reading and studying, particularly about uh, uh, Native Americans, and I really get excited about prehistorical Native Americans, meaning before the Europeans ever got here, and, uh, and, and things like that. But fasting was a part of their culture and life, and it was done to pure, it was, it was seen as something to purify themselves or to prepare themselves, or to focus themselves for a certain task, a certain mission, a certain whatever. And they would do things, and, and you find this true in many, many cultures, this subject of fasting. And of course, here we have it in the Bible over and over and over again. It's appropriate for what we're trying to build. In Acts chapter 13, the first church, well, the first church, I mean, uh, among the first, you know, decades of the church being in existence and in chapter 13 uh, beginning in verse 2 it says while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the mission to which I have called them and so after they had prayed uh, I'm sorry and so after they had fasted and prayed they placed their hands on them and sent them off why were they fasting I don't know I don't know if they were fasting for a specific thing, but I do know this. They got an answer. And the answer had to do with a mission, specifically for Barnabas and Saul. And we know some other people went with them. It wasn't just those two guys. Maybe they were in Antioch fasting going, okay, Lord, what's next? What do you want? I don't know what they were exactly fasting for. But the message that came back was the effort basically had to do with sharing faith, bringing others to Jesus. And they were fasting to do that. Jesus himself fasted. You go back to John 4. And by John 4, I mean Matthew 4. Mark 4. I have Mark there. I've got Matthew here, and I said John. But the 4 and 2 are correct, I think. That's consistent. What is it? Did you look it up? Somebody's getting there electronically. Is it Matthew? Is it Mark? It says, and I quote it, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert where he was tempted by the devil, and he fasted 40 days. 
That's Matt? Okay. That's what I had written here. But, anyway. but the bottom line is, before he began his ministry, Jesus goes, I got to get away. This is the Lord. Right? How many of us feel like we're as good as the Lord? No. But if the Lord goes, before I really begin my mission, I got to go pray and fast. How much more do I feel like I got I to gotta, you know, do this for myself? He not only did it, I mean, he taught it. He expected it from his disciples. If you go back in the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, uh, you'll find in verse 2, he'll say, when you give. You'll find in verse 5, he says, when you pray. And then you read on down in verse 16, and he'll say, and when you fast. Again, it wasn't if you give, if you pray, if you fast, but when, because he expected this to happen. This was something that he just assumed would be a part of our spiritual life, giving, praying, and fasting. A little later on in Matthew 9, some of the followers of John the Baptist, who was, who was very popular at the time, and this was kind of, you know, in that transition time when John was kind of handing off his ministry to Jesus and saying, okay, I was here to prepare the way for Jesus, you know, and and, and he's getting handing it off. Some of the disciples of John the Baptist came to, to Jesus and he says, how is it that uh, we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your guys don't fast? They're thinking this is strange that your disciples, Jesus, aren't fasting. And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, then they will fast. He says, that, that it'll happen. And then, of course, we've seen the early church. We already looked at Acts 13, right? That, that, we've already seen that passage where the Holy Spirit said, set us up apart for me, Barnabas and, and Saul, for the mission. They were praying and fasting. Paul and Barnabas went on out on the mission. They began to plant churches everywhere. And in chapter 14, in the churches that they planted, they prayed, they fasted, and appointed leaders for those churches. And it was a part of their life. And you, you can look in early church writings, I mean, not New Testament, but after that, as early as A.D. 80, 90, the last book of the New Testament, we figure, was written somewhere around A.D. 60. So just about, you still see part of the church writings, they're in there, they're, fasting is a part of their life and what they do. So what is it? What is fasting? All right, well, let's talk about that. It is basically... The sacrifice of something good in order to obtain something better. But it's more than that. It's more specific than that. It's the sacrifice of something good that is physical in order to focus on something better that is spiritual. And I think the reason for this is simple. I mean, we, we're all made up of basically two parts, okay? Physical and spiritual, Right? Temporal and eternal. Carnal and godly. Paul talks about th there's th these two parts battle each other. You know, my sinful nature, what I want to do, what I don't want to do. I know what's right, but I don't want to have these desires and blah, blah, blah. And we know we've got an eternal part of us in our soul, but we've also got this body and it's a temporal part. We've all got these two things and they're always conflicting with one another. They're competing for our attention. They compete for our energy and our time. And they compete for our compliance. And what fasting does is it sets aside the former to help me focus on the latter. 
It's an imposed discipline, an imposed focus. Let's get down to, to practicals. It's, it's often seen in the, in the Bible as going without food for a determined amount of time. It's never really seen as just an open amount, I'll be done when I'm done. It's usually for a specific time. Now, there were some things that could be confusing because you can look about, you know, like the Nazarite vow. That is something that some different characters, particularly in the Old Testament, took. Samson was one. Part of that vow, that was not considered a fast because it was his whole life. That he would never, a razor would never touch his head. He would never cut his hair or shave or anything. And he would never drink any fermented drink his entire life. That's why Samson, you know, he said, my power's in my hair, you know, and when Delilah cut the hair, and then he, it wasn't in his hair. It was in his vow to God, which the cutting of the hair interrupted the vow to God, and that's why he, God left him. He lost his strength. But he has a long hair. He also probably had a big old bushy beard and everything else. He was just a hairy dude because he never would cut his hair or anything else. But that's not really a fast. That was a lifestyle. A fast is a decision, I'm going to do this for a certain amount of time. It seems also from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse uh, 5 or so, that a married couple could make a decision to fast from their physical relationship for a certain amount of time to devote themselves to prayer. Now we have mentioned in the New Testament specifically, uh, you know, days of fast. Remember the time the Pharisees says, I, I fast twice a week, you know. And we're talking about a day of fasting. But even that changed. Sometimes it was a 24-hour period, but sometimes a day would end can be considered over at 3 o'clock. Sometimes the day would be over at 6 o'clock. So I'm going to be fasting all day, but at 6 o'clock, I'm done, and I have dinner or whatever. Or it could be considered uh, a a 24-hour period in the sense of I'm fasting from dinner tonight till dinner tomorrow night. Which means after I eat dinner tonight, I don't have anything to eat until dinner tomorrow night. But I'm, that's really, am I, you know, it, it's, it's different things. And that's the thing about a fast, it's not a, a set thing. Sometimes a day is a 24-hour period, sometimes it, it's really not. But it seems that the sacrifice of any good physical thing could be considered a type of fast if the heart and the purpose is to focus on a spiritual thing. But let me understand, because what I talked about last week, particularly in the bulletin article about, you know, fasting from Facebook and social media and all of this stuff. Fasting is not a jump start on what we need to go ahead and get disciplined about anyway. You see what I'm saying? It's not like, I need, to, I need to get a jump start on my diet anyway. Might as well kill two birds with one stone. That's really not what a fast is. I need to discipline and cut back how much time I need to spend on social media or on maybe television or whatever. I need to do that anyway. I'll just do that for my fast and kill two birds with one stone. That's really not the purpose. That's it. We're, if, if, we, if we start off our sentence with, I might as well, then we're already on the wrong track. That's what I'm trying to say. We're already going down the road, the, the, the wrong, wrong road. Sometimes, you know, we, we need to understand, okay, if I need to discipline myself in this area, then just discipline yourself in that area and make fasting something different and something more focused. Now, I understand with some of us there are health considerations. 
You can't go without food. Certain people are on certain medications. I can't do this. I can't go without food. Or I can't do that. Whatever. And amen, I, I don't want you to feel like, okay, well, I can't participate in, or, or anything like that. Again, we want to look at where the heart is. And that's what I'm really talking about here is where the heart is. Uh, and say, okay, if there are some health considerations, please take that, you know, keep that in mind. On the other hand, don't be afraid to make yourself uncomfortable. Fasting, it does make you uncomfortable. If it's not making you uncomfortable, you're not doing it right. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying. If it's not like I'm missing it, then you're not doing it right. The sacrifice of something good that is physical in order to focus on something better, which is spiritual. And it's not that the physical is wrong. It's just putting that special focus on the spiritual. Matter of fact, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, when he says, have nothing to do with uh, uh, godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. How do I train myself, Paul? He says, well, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things. Okay, holding the promise of the present life and the life to come. So physical things, they're not bad. It's good. But godliness is better. And that's what he's talking about, training myself to be godly. Sometimes I need to, like I said, our, our, our bodies compete for that time. And, and some of us, as we get older, we feel like we, i got less to compete with. <laughs> You know, uh, as far as time and effort and energy, my physical, it, it, I've got less to compete with. It's harder, so I just need to eliminate some of the physical for a little bit. Eliminate it. Eliminate that option. Eliminate that competition. Eliminate that distraction and focus. And that's what we're talking about here. Um, and, and, and fasting eliminates for a time one of those things. Well, I don't know, you know, the physical and the body. Fasting is not a crutch. And fasting is not a magic wand or a magic thing to trick God into giving you what you want. Okay? What it is, it's a support that helps you get what you need. It is to help your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like that song we just sang a few minutes ago. I, you know, love you, Lord, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. How do I get there? Okay? I got to really focus and get to. It is a, uh, it's something that helps a support getting that. It is a strength to help you humble yourself. A strength to help you humble yourself. There's a passage in the book of Joel. It's an Old Testament book in chapter 2. It says in verse 12, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is a gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Fasting helps me to humble myself to return to God. It's also a strength to help me deal with sin in my life. In Mark chapter 9, there was a situation, you know, with this demon thing that the apostles couldn't, drive out of this kid, and Jesus had to come do it, and Jesus did it. It's also found in Matthew 17, a, a, a parallel account. And the apostles are asking him, Jesus, how come we couldn't do this? I mean, I was able to do it with this other person. I was able to do it with this. I couldn't do it with this one. What was wrong? 
And he says, this one comes out only by prayer and fasting. And I think you remember sometime we talked about this one was special. This one took special effort to deal with. Sometimes there's things in our lives that take special effort. Sometimes there's things that, okay, I just need to repent, and I can repent and deal with the sin, and I can do it. Other times, there's sometimes it's so rooted in our character, so rooted in our habits and, and our life, it takes something special effort to deal with the sin. Fasting, Jesus says, that's part of, it helps me to do that. It helps me to find that strength to deal with sin. It's also a strength to help me seek guidance and direction. We've already seen in Acts 13, that passage there where the church was going, God, what do we need to do? And he said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. We see also in Acts chapter 14, uh, in verse 23, we already looked at that one, where Barnabas and Saul said, we're going to pick elders. Who do we pick? Who, who do we pick to lead these churches? That's in uh, chapter 14, verse 23. They pray and they fast. And it's to help us for direction. And we're calling everybody in the church. Phyllis has already got with the, with the women at their midweek uh, this past week, asking you, find an area in your life to focus on. Your own personal thing. Looking at yourself personally, where I can grow and I can change. We all can find one thing. Now, the chance, most of our problem is, is we find so many, we get overwhelmed. Right? We go, I don't even know where to start. One thing, just do one. You know, how many times, I want you to think, do this little exercise with me for a second. Think of all the years you've been a disciple, okay? Whether it's one, two, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, some of you more than that. All of those years, if you had sat there and changed and focused all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and fasting and prayer on one thing, just one thing a year for each of those years, where would you be right now? See, we get so overwhelmed when we think, i got so much to change, I don't know what to do. And I try to focus on all of it, and I end up getting none of it done. But God gives us grace and mercy. It, okay, it, put it bluntly, it, it buys us time to focus on these things. One a year. One. You know, just think. Not, and and it's just make it your personal mantra. Not one more year is going by without something dramatically changing. Just one thing. Some of you would be sitting here with 35 think Christian characters. You'd have down hard soul, hardcore if you had done it one a year. Wow. How awesome would that be? Now you're discouraged because you didn't do that. No, no. You can start this year. It just dawned on me. This is going bad. No. You can start now. You still got time. Just one a year. Don't try to catch up. Don't try to catch up. Just start today. One thing, because I'm going to add one more thing to that, okay? Because I'm going to add one for us as a church. But everybody needs that one thing as an individual, that character trait, that personal discipline you need to uh, mature in. And we need to do that. Because the Bible also calls us to fast as a group. Fasting together. If you'll note, many of the passages we've even looked at, not all of them, but many of them, it was a corporate or a church-wide fast. In the Bible, we find them in the days of Samuel, we find them in the days of Ezra, we find them in the days of Nehemiah, we find them in the days of Joel, Jonah, we find it several times in the book of Acts, 
Group fast. Everybody fast together. Sometimes we get, we get messed up. We, we think everything about God is just about me and God. And certainly there is an aspect about our relationship with God that is just you and God and it's just me and God. But then there's this whole other side of it that God looks at us corporately and sees us within a family and says, where are you as a family? As a church, as a people who group together, because he's very concerned about the community. In the Old Testament, there would be righteous people in the nation, but if overall the nation was doing bad, the whole nation got disciplined. Because he wanted them as a people, as a community, to do good and to, and to be disciplined. And even in, in the, book, the book of Revelation, you've got the letters to the seven churches. Certainly, there were individuals within those churches. I don't think every individual of every church that was doing bad poorly was doing that poorly. But as a church, they needed to repent. Other church, one of them was doing great. So as a church, he was saying, you guys are awesome. And I'm sure that there were some uncommitted or weak people within that group. But as a church, they were doing awesome. We need to see ourselves as individuals, but also as part of a collective, part of the family part of the church, and how, where are we going as a church. And that's what I want to call all of us to focus on as a church, where we are in reaching out, sharing our faith, and bringing other people to faith in Jesus. As a church, we need to do that. Now, how do you do it as a church? Well, certainly it gets down to individuals, but where are we all together in that? as individuals, and that's why we're asking each individual to fast with that as well. Whatever it is, personal life, when that, that personal discipline or spiritual maturity um, or repentance or whatever that is, plus where we need to be as a church, where we're striving to grow as a church and mature as a church, as it all adds up, the individuals add up to the collective us, we. So we call everyone to pray, meditate, and fast. This prayer, this fast starts today. But you might be sitting there going, well, I'm not ready. Some of our campus students, you might, I just got back, dude. I didn't even hear about this before. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Set a time to think about it, pray about it, get yourself ready. Just do it soon. Okay, join us. There is a power in doing it together. But let me say something about doing it together. This is what I want to encourage us about. We do it together, but we don't talk to each other about it. Well, I mean, we don't tell, oh, yeah, it's hard. Ooh, I'm telling you, it's hard. I'm fasting. Ooh. You know, we do that sometimes. Or, you know, what are you fasting for? This is what I'm fasting for. We just know you're fasting, I'm fasting, you're fasting, you're fasting. We're all doing it, but we don't talk about it. We, we adopt like what Jesus said and goes, wash your face, comb your hair. Nobody even knows anything's different. Because it is between you and God. It's between us and God. And we know one another's fasting. But we're not really talking to each other about the fast. Maybe talk to you about your struggle. About what you're wrestling with. Not, I'm wrestling with really wanting to go to Pizza Hut buffet right now. <laughs> not that struggle, okay. All right, not that one. But the struggle of I'm wrestling with this. I'm going after this in my life. I'm doing this, etc. That we can talk and encourage one another about. But the other stuff, just leave it cool. 
and let it go. And let that be something. We're going to end the fast on Sunday, January 31st. I don't know, maybe a house churches want to put potlucks together to end the fasts or arrange to go out to lunch with somebody to end your fast together. Some people, Phyllis was asking me, are you going to end it, you know, on breakfast the 31st or lunch the 31st or dinner the 31st? I don't know. Or do we not eat it all on the 31st and actually February 1st? Is it 3 o'clock or 6 o'clock? I don't know. But think it through and make it, make it special as you end it. So the ending of the fast becomes as special as the fast itself type of a thing. And I pray that we can all do this together after we think about what's going on in our own personal lives and as we think about what's going on as a church and what we're trying to grow and mature in as a church. That like in Acts 13, when it talked about Paul and Barnabas, it will say, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul. I pray that while we are worshiping the Lord and fasting, God will set you apart for the work he's called you to do. And together he will set our church apart for the work he has called our church to do. And together we will grow and bring God the glory. Amen.